welcome back to the latest episode of the Security Sprint. This is the podcast where we go beyond the headlines and talk about the security and risk news and try to bring about a different perspective, uh, as well as talk about the news and different and events that you may have missed. We know there's a lot out there. We know you all are reading a lot. We hope to bring a little bit different variety there for you in above in, in addition to hitting some different perspectives. Um, we just want to bring that to you in a way that is fast, effective, and kind of can get you through that. Um, this is a sprint. So the way it works is that Andy and I go through two rounds of topics and then do some quick hits at the end. So with that, I bring in my esteemed colleague, Andy Jabor. Andy, how are you? I'm, I'm grateful to be esteemed by you, Dave Pounder. Hey, good intro. I'm I'm constantly impressed by you nailing these these last few weeks. Pretty exciting. So, as as a as a new uh, malicious email comes flying across my Outlook box as we're talking, I've got a whole lot of things which I talk about, Dave. And last week I know I talked too long, so this week locked on brevity is the focus, and we'll see how it goes. Well, maybe it's my turn to go long this week then. Okay, but... too long. But sorry. <laughs> All right, Andy. As is my phrase in these things, this is a sprint. So let's get into it. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to? What do you, what, oh, please, what do you, do? you start. You've got the ball. You're the quarterback. Okay. All right. Look, it seems like we hit the same things a lot because there's a lot going on. You'll go through the news. You'll see any number of violent events and incidents that have been occurring, whether it be birthday parties or, or whatnot. But last week, we did have a, another unfortunate significant event with the Louisville Bank shooting at Old, um, old National Bank that occurred um, early in the morning last week. And we just really wanted to hit this again from a hostile events area because this focus on some information that may or may not be confirmed or refuted. There's some discussions about whether this individual knew they were gonna be terminated or not, how they were able to gain access into the facility or not. I, I just wanna speak in a, in a very tough and troubling economic times, uh, especially where we are seeing more and more layoffs um, there was a lot of big technology layoffs over the past. There are more and more layoffs almost every week. I, I will call out that there was a, even a layoff uh, from David's Bridal, laying, laying off over 9,000 workers announced last week. Look, when we're doing these type of events, we're, when we're, you know, I'm not here to say layoffs are good or bad or indifferent. I'm, I'm saying that when you're doing them, there's a proper way to, to really go through that process. There's a really as organizations, we really need to be methodical in how we're doing those and, and taking into consideration that uh, the environment we're in today uh, with our hostile events and the potential risks that we have from there and understanding that. So looking at previous behaviors, looking at what the individual has been involved with, and then understanding how you're going to address that potential layoff, it's a really important part. Offboarding is extremely important. People just think, it's different than onboarding. It's the same type of thing. There's a process for doing that type of work. So want to hit that on one end, Andy. So that, that's one type of you know, hostile event from an insider type of threat risk area. Another type of insider threat risk emerged as well with the DOD uh, revealing of classified information or documents being released uh, on a gaming platform through a gaming system with gaming partners. Um, by an individual associated with the uh, Air National Guard. That individual has been arrested. They are now doing the battle damage assessment to understand the impacts of those leaks. Obviously, there's a lot of backdoor politicking going on here. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of 
you know, politicalization of these topics. The bottom line is, is that again, when you're looking at your, in, your risk from an organization, you have to look at that internal risk as well. How are you protecting your data? Who has access to that data? Are you revalidating that access on a regular basis? And how are you doing that? Um, and so there's a lot of steps that go into it. Insider threat is a huge topic. It's a huge area and it's, it's only growing across many industries now. Um, but it is something if you're not thinking about it, you really need to be thinking about it. Uh, the government obviously does a very um, has a very tight controlled process around security clearances, and yet they still have instances like this. And again, this is just what was announced and found out online. Think about all the other activities that are going on in that espionage type of realm. So, Andy, two topics, similar yet different in terms of outcomes. Uh, but that's where I'm starting this week. Dave, great, great topics. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about them both in the context of you know, the entire threat piece together. And I think that was an interesting way to package it and an important way to look at it. Um, you know, listen, with, with Louisville, there's still a lot we don't know. We're trying to find out. Tragic situation. I'm glad the investigation is going on. It sounds like people were trying to do the right thing when they became aware of the threats, including the attacker's family. Could be some different issues that contributed to you know, the actions that took place. We've got to check it out, but definitely, you know, there's opportunity to learn from this, and I hope that we find out more information and can make a smart, uh, responsible, you know, assessment of what happened and take that and apply it to organizations. With the DoD leaks, um, you know, we've talked many times in this podcast Dave, about sort of the reckless statements of politicians and other people of influence, and I just want to address that briefly because even within uh, this, in this case, the Republican Party, you know, again, it happens across both sides of the aisle. Even the Republican Party, there, there's back and forth over the types of statements that are being made. And people have to realize there's reckless behavior is it should not be encouraged, right? And I don't think anybody wants 21-year-old service members or others that might have access to classified information by design or not to be the ones making tear-line decisions on what should be released with others, right? So um, following the individual's arrest, uh, one congresswoman made the statement that uh, the suspect is a white male Christian and anti-war, and therefore an enemy of the Biden administration, sort of sympathetic to his decision to release the documents. And that could release to any number of individuals saying, hey, maybe I need to look at the same types of things, conducting the same type of behavior. It might be the right thing to do. Horribly reckless. And uh, Lindsey Graham, a senator in, uh, of the a GOP senator, made the statement that that was one of the most irresponsible statements that she, the congresswoman, could make. And I don't find myself agreeing with Lindsey Graham all the time. In this case, I 100% agree with him. What an irresponsible, reckless statement to make, because it encourages potentially others to make similar decisions. And we can't encourage that, whether it becomes insider threat issues, or it's encouraging potential hostile events and activities, or it's espousing some type of ideology. There are consequences for the things that people of influence say and do. And we still are seeing them do it recklessly time and time again. That's again, it's not a statement to any one person or political party. It's just thoughtless actions that leaders have to be more cognizant and aware of. And I hope we as leaders try and consider that when we make statements, um, however we do it publicly, social media, whatever it is. So, hey, good topic to start, Dave. I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah, and I mean, you brought up another really great point there. And I we could go down some more about, you know, justifying the release of this information. And there are ways there, there, we, there are a lot of different ways we can go down there. 
we're going to stop on that because we want to get through some of these other topics, but I encourage you really to dig into these and look at some of the root causes behind those and look at the understanding is, are you doing what you need to do to protect your data, your people, as well as giving individuals the opportunity to express concerns or reservations and escalate um, if they feel something is, is inappropriate. So I'll just leave it at that, Andy. I know we could probably have the whole podcast just on that, but we got to get to your first topic. So have a way, Andy. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. I'm going to keep it short, but I want to go back to a topic again. I've hit many times here, and I'll put some explanation on that as well. I want to come back to ransomware, and I want to talk about some comments that were made following the incident that occurred in Suffolk County in New York State. Some statements were made by the um, county executive there, Mr. Steve Ballone. Listen, I know we talk about ransomware a lot. I talk about it a lot. I have a lot of concern and frustration with it. There are other issues of serious consequence. Business email compromise perhaps being the most significant. We see that in the FBI reports. Our friend and colleague, Ronnie Tokozowski, speaks on this all the time, has done remarkable things on the community on the business email compromise threat. But ransomware frustrates me to no end because while it's not completely preventable, we can certainly do better, right? You don't have to lose a game 51-0, maybe you lose it 51-14, but you could put some points on the board, do some things to put yourself in a position to score. A lot of folks aren't doing that. So in today's show notes, I'm going to include some ransomware links that we've shared in the Gate 15 Sun just since the last uh, security sprint, and it's an insane amount, and we could have included more just to show how prevalent this threat is. What we want to focus on are statements made by um, Mr. Mr. Ballone, who I mentioned earlier, coming out of the incident. And just two quotes from an article, and we'll show a link to this article. After the ransomware incident, Mr. Ballone said, one, there were plenty of things we could have been doing. If we had a chief information security officer in place with security authority, then that could have changed the outcome. Absolutely, it could have. <laughs> You've got to have the right people in place and the right process in place. That's part of preparedness, too. He continues, uh, or the article continues, the report described in great detail the eight months that the criminal actors spent in the clerk's office. The adversary will gain and maintain access to your network as long as they need to find what they're looking for to put you in the worst possible position. See Oakland, California as a great example. See Baltimore, Maryland as a great example, right? They're there for eight months installing Bitcoin mining software, creating fake accounts, and on and on. Now, they didn't end up paying ransom. They restored from backup. It took them a long time. It wasn't easy. They got about 95% of their servers back up. That's success. That's a good thing, right? It didn't go smoothly as wanted. But then the key point is here, they, they could have done better if they were properly prepared. Planning, training, exercising, organizing and equipping to include people and equipment and services, right? And then after action, reviewing and that improvement plan process, evaluating and, and learning, right? So following that preparedness cycle puts you in a position for success. So as we identify our biggest threats and our biggest risks, our biggest concerns, the biggest hazards, Take appropriate preparedness action, draw down that risk, right? Maybe that's ransomware, maybe that's just email compromise, maybe that's active shooter, maybe that's misdismount information, whatever it is, there's ways we can mitigate those threats and risks by doing the right thing. Please do the right thing. Dave, I'm going to stop there. Yeah, you, I couldn't have said it better, Andy. I mean, what do you what are we waiting for at this point? I mean, really, I mean, the, those comments are just just ignorant of hey, like if not, if if it's not you me. Who is it then? Who Who is going to raise these and escalate these things? You know, after, and this is what we try to do in these podcasts is really call out these things 
and say these are really fundamental elements of, a, of an organization's responsibility in the 21st century here to be able to say, look, we just have to have these things. And if I'm not, if, if it's not now, when, and, and really that's too late. And so great call out, Andy. I know ransomware is passion for you, but passion for me is going into round two and talking about my next topic, Andy. I've said it time and time again, and I finally feel vindicated. Colorado State University, that bait, that landlocked area of the world, finally released their hurricane forecast for 2023. Yes. It, it, it's so weird how, like, you, how is Colorado, how is Colorado State the uh, hurricane center of the world here? But yeah, yeah about Florida, right? I, I mean, come on, but. <laughs> Every year, Colorado State does a great job in uh, releasing their um, their numbers for the Atlantic hurricane season. Uh, this year, it is slightly below uh, the average. The average is 14 and a half uh, named storms. Then it's followed by seven and a half or so uh, hurricanes, which is category one through three. I'm sorry, one through five, the whole list of them. And then two and a half major hurricanes, whether it's plus or minus, I think that's like a plus or minus scale, Andy, plus or minus two and a half. Is it yeah. you taking over or under on major hurricanes this year, Andy? I'm, I'm going to go that the prediction is under. I'm going to take the over because I, I feel like we're due, but okay. But I'm, I'm not the CSU forecaster, so I'm probably wrong. <laughs> okay. Uh, Andy, I'm going to go over the major hurricanes too. I'm going to go over two and a half uh, this year. Uh, but again, the, those numbers came out. There's a lot of reasons behind it. Um, and so it has to do with La, La Nina or La, La, La Nina, yeah, whatever those, those um, is that right? Okay, thanks, Andy. So, um, but those numbers are out. It's really important that we start planning and preparing for that now. Again, we really want to encourage when you're looking at severe weather to look a quarter ahead or maybe a half a year ahead and start those preparedness activities. While the Atlantic hurricane season doesn't officially start till June 1st, there have been hur hurricanes as early as uh, beginning part of May. So we're not too far away from that. So we really wanna start looking at that as well. And, and also just as a reminder, while hurricanes obviously have to come from the water, right? They, they need land, they need, to, they need to come on land at some point. Uh, and there are only certain parts of the country that are there. The impacts from a hurricane can extend hundreds of thousands of miles inland uh, with, with flooding, with uh, tornadoes, with severe weather. And so while you may not be in the direct path of a landfall event of a hurricane, you may be uh, experience a lot of uh, weather events as a result of them. And I think it's just really important that, that you should be anticipating that today and not delaying on that, Andy. So there's my passion, my all hazards passion around wow. hurricanes. It's finally come true. And Dave, I think it's so important to remember, this is a topic I touched on with uh, Dr. Jeff Masters in last month's interview as he was looking at the hurricane season, comparing it to, I forget what year it was offhand, but um, talking about Hurricane Michael, a low predicted hurricane year, doesn't mean you're not going to have an absolutely catastrophic hurricane make impact, right? So we can't be lulled into uh, uh, complacency because, okay, it's not going to be a really heavy year, El Nino. We have no idea when, where, or how that massive, severe uh, hurricane can come in. How it can hover over land, cause catastrophic flooding, all those things you talked about, Dave, tornadoes and more. So we've got to prepare. And so, you know, with this report, it's a great time to sort of look at it, process it, assess it, assess where we are and take those preparedness actions and to be ready for that big cat five that we didn't expect to come into that unexpected location. 
and be ready for you know, ready for it from a, from a preparedness standpoint, a backup standpoint, a restoration standpoint. So great, great call. Appreciate CSU and all they do. Yeah, thanks, Annie. And just to your uh, further highlight your point, when I lived in Jacksonville or St. Augustine, yeah. uh, they had not had a hurricane uh, come near them in years. Uh, I think it was over 40 years. And then we had back-to-back -back years while I was there. So maybe I'm the common denominator. We'll see if that applies to Charlotte this year. Let's hope not, knock on wood. Okay, Andy, that was my round two. I'm over back to you. That's, That's a good. That was nice. That was good rhyming, by the way. But hey, I want to I hit a point here quick. This isn't so much a threat issue. Uh, but there is a threat associated with it. But it's a great topic that we talk about many times on our podcast and in various conversations. And this is about our designated sectors of critical infrastructure. And we'll share some links to the direct um, opinion piece that was shared through Foundation for De Defensive Democracies, a great article summary capturing the discussion by Christian Vasquez in CyberScoop. And uh, the title is Cyberspace Solarium Commission says space systems should be considered critical infrastructure. And this is a topic that has come up a number of times as DHS has looked at uh, designated service critical infrastructure. That's a White House guided uh, designation. Um, looked at national critical functions. We talked about that. I had a conversation with that with Bob Kalaski when he was still at CISA, maybe now a year and a half ago, we had that conversation. But listen, so much is reliant on space, cislunar space. And Aaron Miller talked about this in a great podcast we did a little while back, and you can share the link for that as well. It, absolutely, space infrastructure is critical infrastructure, and so much of our terrestrial infrastructure is dependent upon it. And we often put uh, infrastructure in three buckets, right? There's critical lifelines, like water and energy, the things that if we don't have, we can die. There's vital services, those things upon which the infrastructure depends and which our life uh, and health depend, like health services. And then there's commercial infrastructure, things like commercial facilities, the places we go, shop, play, have fun, right? our economic infrastructure. And we've long argued that space infrastructure and the faith-based community need to be captured as critical infrastructure. Space is its own designated sector. Faith could be done a couple of different ways, but they have to be captured. And really grateful to see this article. I hope it gets some momentum. I'm grateful for Space ISAC. The recommendations are very sound, recommending that uh, NASA become the sector risk management agency, establishing a sector coordinating council, good all around, totally agree. We need to do it. I hope as the Biden administration looks to refine the sectors of critical infrastructure eventually, soon, hopefully put out guidance on that end. And as DHS finally, long overdue, puts out National Social Protection Plan, I hope it's properly captured in there. Strongly agree with the assessment. Space is critical infrastructure. It needs to be properly, formally designated as such. Kind of a soapbox. Thought it was worth mentioning. Back to you, Dave. I appreciate soapbox. I stand for soapboxes. <laughs> Often I stand on them as well and get on my soapbox. So Andy, great two rounds of, of quick hitting areas. So now we're actually going to go to the quick hits. So Andy, I'm going to just start quickly. I had a quick hit. I hope I can remember it, but uh, the, <laughs> the bottom line is I can't. So I'm going to turn it back over to you, Andy. And if I can remember my quick hit, I'll come back to it. Jump so, in any time, Dave. I'm going to go quick through these. I know we're, yes. we're trying to keep this fast today. So I want to start out faith-based security, right? As we talk today, uh, we're, we're looking at uh, remembrance of the devastating uh, lives that were lost in the Holocaust, right? To be clear on that point, six million Jews were murdered in the Holocaust, right? The uh, Anti-Defamation League has put out some uh, reports talking about that, that you know, the uh, lack of knowledge and familiarity of how severe the Holocaust was leads to a lot of the sort of flippant, dismissive comments and uh, anti-Semitic tropes that we hear today. 
worth pausing, reflecting on that. Also, um, as we as we gather, you know, for this time of the year with so many faith-based celebrations going on across multiple faiths, uh, the president released a statement both on uh, the remembrance of victims of the Holocaust and on the celebration of Orthodox Easter. And if you look at these faith-based events, we look at some of the threats that we see. And again, just like with ransomware, we could fill up pages of faith-based incidents that have occurred just over the last week. And if you look at the sun, they're captured there. I want to pause and celebrate faith-based ISAL, five-year anniversary of faith-based ISAL this week. Very proud of that organization, very grateful for that team, and more, even grateful for that community. Lots come out there. I want to keep going, but congratulations, faith-based ISAL. Thank you to all that are keeping our places and people of faith safe and secure. Missed this and malinformation. Want to keep on that topic. We unfortunately had to pivot off of our Blue Jeans workshop. We'll get into that another time, another day. But some great articles talking about missed this and malinformation, most notably in the Washington Post, a good article in summarizing the cybersecurity 202 by Tim Starks. Russians boasted of undetected bots, leads documents shows, talks about botnet use to amplify, encourage certain messaging and, and, and uh, tweets and likes on Facebook, on Instagram. Good article to understand how severe and coordinated that effort is, as that coordinated activity led right back to the Russian presidential palace. Good report, good job, Washington Post there. The Politico uh, looks at what it will look like if China launches cyber attacks in the US. And if we're going through uh, Russia and Ukraine and sisters chanting, you know, shields up, shields up, can't let it down. Here we are looking at what China could potentially do, talk specifically to potential attacks on critical infrastructure like the electric grid, water systems, communications, and don't think space wouldn't be targeted in that. Good article there. Good article also looking at what happened in Oldsmar, Florida. As that starts to look more like employee error than a malicious cyber attack, it's a topic I'm not going to get into, but the water sector has vulnerabilities. As a recent report uh, coming out of Israel showed where irrigation systems were compromised. I'm not going to talk about water today because I'm going to be excited to interview the water ISAC team in this month's Gate 15 interview. So more to follow there. Check that out. Dave, other than that, again, we're going to have a whole list of ransomware incidents in the show notes today. And with that, sir, I'll give you back the mic. So, Ina, I just want to go back real quick to that water, um, the water incident, yeah. uh, because I think this is just another example of really taking your time to be deliberate about when you're doing after action reviews or lessons learned. Obviously, there was a lot of reason to believe that there may have been an external entity involved at the time. But by taking a step back and the water ISAC team did a great job here. There's a lot of great reporting around this. Um, about taking a step back and really looking at it and identifying, in fact, it was more of an employee error than anything else. Uh, I think that's just a great example of let's not overreact to first reports. Let's wow. really take our time, be deliberate, understand what's at risk here, and then take appropriate action. So with that, Andy, I could never remember my quick hit, but I'm just going to claim that last one as a, as a thing that I could add in there. So Andy, that is it for this week. Uh, and everyone, thank you all for listening. I uh, want to remind you about the great Gate 15 podcast that we have across the spectrum here. As Andy mentioned, his Gate 15 interview. We also have the Nerd Out Security Panel Discussion podcast. I'm going to have an interesting take on it this time around. So uh, hope you guys listen to that. And then, of course, we have our Risk Roundtable podcast. In addition to this um, security sprint, which is, occurs on a weekly basis, except when we have a Risk Roundtable. Uh, so with that, Andy, thanks for sharing your time with me today. And for everyone else, we will bid you adieu.